across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with our first broadcast of 2023 and it is nice to be back. I'm Matt Bentman, live in our Guida Street studio with Alan Alder and Sue Bailey. And today, we will look back at 2022, as well as most of our regular features like the news section, free food that's available right now in Cambridge, and updates from social media. So, here's Alan and Sue with a bit more detail. Yeah, looking back, it was a year that started free of the constraints of COVID, but became a year constrained by the effects of inflation. Nevertheless, new ventures opened, and there was a lot of good food to be had in and around Cambridge. And we'll be featuring some of these openings as well as some of the good food and some of the ways to save money. And also some of the ways in which local growers are striving to protect the environment as well as some of the classes that tell you more about food and drink. Let's begin with good food and hearing some ideas for going off the beaten track and finding some unusual gems. First, fishmonger Ben Roberts, who sells fish every Saturday morning from 8.30 to around 12.15 in Grantchester Street. Then, Mike Malloy from Malloy's Craft Butchery in Station Place in Cambridge. Personally, uh, I really enjoy cod cheeks and cod tongues, or the cheeks from any pelagic fish, really. The, the halibut and the monkfish are really, really meaty and juicy things. And years ago, people ate them all the time, but it's been uh, the last 20 or 30 years where most of the cod cheeks and tongues and the halibut cheeks and, uh, and, and the monk cheeks go onto the continent because they like them there. I mean, it's fallen out of favour here. Whereas before, people would always go for those. I've, I don't think I've ever seen cod cheeks on sale. I do have Are they them. called cheeks? Yeah, they are they cheeks. No, 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 there's no other name for them. <laughs> it is literally the cheek from the head. And all over Europe and all over the world, the, the head is quite a prized bit of a fish. When you have a whole fish, the cheek is, you know, for a lot of people, the best bit. Even on little trout, the cheeks are really, really sweet. Yeah. Yeah, but they must be expensive because of the time it takes to cut them out. Not particularly, you would think yeah. so. And they are, they're a delicacy on the continent, um, the tongues especially. The cod tongues are in the, the, the fancier restaurants. You'll probably get three little cod tongues and it'll be 10 euros with done in a garlic sauce. And they're really tasty because there's only one per fish. So they are a more expensive yeah. thing to buy. Golly, um, well, I've certainly never seen them. Yeah. And are they called tongues They as are well? called tongues, yeah. <laughs> they're called tongues and cheeks, that's it. Well, and what are they like? Are they, are they um, a bit raspy? Or? No, not at all. It's a soft, um, sweet flesh. It's because re- it's, like, it's a muscle underneath. Yeah. It's not literally the tongue itself. It's actually the, the neck part under the tongue yeah. that moves the tongue. It's the muscle under the chin. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's a really sweet, tender piece of flesh. It's like a... Um, uh, fillet steak tender, if you know what I mean. It's a very yes. nice bit of fish. It's only a little bit, but it's really tasty. Yeah. yeah. Yes, prices are going up, 
but you don't have to buy the most expensive cuts every time. So stuff like Denver's, flat irons, deckel cuts, all of these different steaks that you can still fry off and be very, very sort of tender, flavoursome, not too expensive. I think that's where we're seeing the biggest resurgence right now. I mean, that all these forgotten cuts are starting to come back. Well, perhaps they're not unusual gems, but Susanna Watson of Meadows in Eltersley Avenue told me about getting cheeses when they're at their best. So first of all, there will be some new season goat cheeses and sheep's milk cheeses coming into the marketplace again, having been out of season through the autumn and winter months. And that's because the, the young goats and baby lambs are born any time from January and February onwards, and so their milk becomes available. And so by mid-February, we should have some new season fresh cheeses coming back into the shops again. And then the other thing that we like to do through the winter months is eat the the mature hard cheeses that were made through the summer, either last summer or even 18 months ago in the previous summer. So the farmhouse cheddars and any of the hard cheeses that age well for that much time should be tasting really good as they're either sort of 18 months old or six months old because they will have been made using really lovely summer grass they will have matured for enough time to be tasting really good right now And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And looking at Olio today for Cambridge shows us that Chloe, who is off Hawkston Road, has two Dr Oatka vegan margarita pizzas to give away. Z in Trumpington has a jar of jalapenos going spare. Gamzee on the outskirts of Trumpington has a large jar of assorted pickles. Alice in Fenditton has four candy canes left over from Christmas, whilst Marie, over in Great Shelford, has three cans of bitter orange and elderflower tonic water available. Nick in Arbury, uh, we know Nick, his name appears plenty of times in Olio over the past few episodes. He's got a couple of chocolate Santas for anyone interested. And Nina on Hills Road has some gluten-free baking powder and vegan gelatin replacement up for grabs. Now, you'll usually find on Fridays that an Olio champion, that's someone who collects large quantities of food to distribute from their own home picks up almost like a metric ton of Pret-a-Manger items that must be collected by that night because of their use-by date. It's all top-quality stuff. It's muesli pots, falafels, posh sandwiches, baguettes and wraps, all as good and as fresh as the day they were in the shop. And the Olio champion will list all of the items they have available. You simply tell them what you're interested in, and then you go and collect them that evening. And that's what makes Olio a really good app to have on your phone. Could save you a fortune. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And there is another free app as well, called Too Good To Go that deals with unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price and they don't specify what each leftover item is they just put it in a magic bag ready for you to take home and that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. And now on to our first news break with news for the 14th of January. White Cottage Bakery in Kingston near Bourne has almost filled up its hot cross bun workshop, so has announced a second date on the 6th of April, the day before Good Friday. Jack's Gelato has applied to South Cambridgeshire District Council to use Manor Farm in Girton to make his ice cream. And he's planning on installing a solar array to power this work and produce net zero ice cream. 
Burns Night is coming up on the 25th of January. Parker's Tavern in Regent Street is hosting a Burns evening serving crispy haggis balls with whiskey cream, steamed haggis with bash neeps and extra buttery tatties and whiskey drenched Baron Bigod Brie. There'll also be a whiskey trolley doing the rounds throughout the evening and bookings are being taken now. Details of Burnside at Amphora in a minute. News from Trommington Community Orchard. At 2pm tomorrow there's the annual wassail and you're invited to bring a musical instrument or a pan and a stick to join in the singing and dancing and toasting of the trees to encourage a good harvest. Fancy dress is optional and it's great fun. <laughs> and news from nearby Trumpington allotments. The popular annual Seedy Sunday returns on the 29th of January from 1.30 until 4pm. There will be seeds to swap but if you don't have any yourself you can make a small donation. There's also a cafe and stalls, and it takes place this year in Trumpington Pavilion. Entry is £2 for adults, and it's free for children. Some wine news now. At Amphora in Devonshire Road on the 18th of January, there's a tasting of Australian wines, including an old vine Shiraz. On the 25th of January, there is a Burns Night tasting, and that's got five single malt whiskies with optional haggis. The evening begins at 8. The Australian tasting is £35, and the whisky tasting is £40. In the wine rooms in Hills Road on 19th of January, there's a tasting of six USA wines from the last three decades, and some are impossible to find on the market. And on the 26th of January, there's a tasting of Côte du Roussillon Reds, dating from 2003 to 2011. Both nights begin at 7pm and cost £30. Good news for lovers of French patisserie, Maison Clément has Galette Duois available all month in their Hills Road and Derby Street bakeries, and Culinaris suggests trying praline spread with them. They have some made by Cluidzel of Paris in their shop in Mill Road now. And good news for lovers of chocolate too. Over Valentine's weekend, there's the second Cambridge Festival of Chocolate. It's at a new indoor venue and is again organised by chocolatier Ria Falvo, who described it to me on Tuesday. It's uh, more than doubled this year. We have uh, Gloria from Mama Bonbon. She's actually off to Guatemala soon, so she's going to come back and tell us a little bit about her travels. And then she's also going to bring back some um, chocolate from Guatemala um, that she'll sell at the workshop as well. And she'll be uh, presenting kind of a cacao ceremony, sort of a little bit, which I think is just tasting chocolate in its kind of raw form, like more traditional form. We have everyone from a wide variety of backgrounds, um, chocolate from different origins from all over the world. Right, so there'll be lots of opportunities to taste different chocolates. Taste different chocolates. I'm sure everyone will have samples. We'll also have goodie bags distributed by, again, um, our biggest sponsors, um, Philip Rayner of Glebe Farm Foods and Nathaniel Mahoney of Online High Street. So we'll have goodie bags at the entrance as well, filled with some of our samples. And Ombar has very, um, very generously donated some samples for our for our weekend as well. So it'll be a fantastic Valentine's weekend. Friday, we'll be having an opening evening with chocolate cocktails that I'll be collaborating with the orator on as well. So chocolate cocktails again, making our foray into the festival for Valentine's weekend. 
Uh, you can book for the Chocolate Festival on Eventbrite. The name of the event is Cam Choco Fest. There's an Instagram page as well. It runs from the 10th to the 12th of February. And finally, a sad bit of news that Rattlesden Farm has, has shut down because of bird flu and they have had to pay for their 10,000 hens to be culled. And that's an old family firm which was very highly regarded. You could buy their eggs in places like the Gog so that's a great loss anyway that's the end of the news for today shame well one of the most frequent contributors to flavor over the last few years has been steve thompson the foraging chef last year he began to run guided foraging classes here he is giving some advice to new foragers on one of them that i went to first of all there's no mushroom that can harm you by touching plants can so don't go grabbing plants straight away the prime example of that is stinging nettles or like we were talking about earlier, giant hogweed. There's other ones like splurge and stuff that would be bad for your skin, like common ivy is really bad for your skin and things like that as well. So best not to touch plants first, but mushrooms is always safe to handle and have a look at and have a play with. But plants are the dangerous ones. Mushrooms are the ones that get a bad press. Plants are actually the ones you really want to be wary of. Again, with mushrooms, it's actually safe to taste test any mushroom. So the death cat, which is the most poisonous mushroom in the world, I've taste tested and stuff like that, but you cannot Swallow, ingest it. Yeah. You have to spit back out. So it's all about ingestion. Plants is not safe to do that. There is a plant we'll look at later, which is covered in oxalate crystals, which are like tiny little needles, basically. So it will really like swell your mouth up and it's, it's horrible. It's a lot of pain. So it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, there's not a lot of other rules like sustainably foraging. Don't go and like smash out a whole patch of something. It's best to leave a location looking like you've not been there. I think that's the best way to put it. If you leave nature like you've not been there, so don't leave litter lying around, don't leave anything like that, don't dig things up, don't leave the ground looking horrible, that's a good way. But really, these plants are here to be picked. They come back. Like, if they weren't here to be picked, they wouldn't still be here now. But it's all about if there's a patch. Like, there's people say rules like take one third of everything and no more, but that's absolute rubbish because if there's a tiny patch and you take one third of it. So and there's, there's some plants that it actually helps them by I think a lot removing of them does, yeah. through and cutting back and I it think, will promote growth. I think a lot of them, yes, to be entirely honest. Mm. I mean, I've picked the same patches for years and there are certain plants where I take absolutely everything in the area and it'll come back year after year after year after year. There's a lot of myths and a lot of phobia around it and a lot of fear. And I think that comes through lack of understanding. Once you start getting into it and the key identification features in plants that you look for, it's not as scary as it seems. It's not as alien. And actually, a lot of these plants you'll see today, you'll probably already know. Last month, we talked about a little challenge of picking your own salad leaves. If everyone just does it once or twice a month instead of going out and buying a shop-bought packet salad, it will make a huge difference. And we're not taught these things at school, and it's something that should be taught at school. Or by your parents, it's a yes. wonderful thing. But there's a couple of generations of loss, really. Yeah. I think the last three or four generations, like grandparents, great-grandparents kind of thing, the knowledge has been lost. But before that, these are all plants that we've used to survive because we didn't have everything being flown in from all around the world. And it's really easy. And some of these, we'll talk about how we preserve them with every plant and what we do with them. But it's all about getting to know the flavours, really, and using your imagination. Classes like Steve's, where you don't sit and watch, but actually take part, are very popular in wine drinking too. Here's Chong Chong Bo, who runs tastings at Amphora in Devonshire Road, talking about how much there is to know. Well, a friend of mine, Betty, invited me to a blind wine tasting event. And prior to that, I always thought the 
well, Divine was a little bit pretentious and impenetrable. But then when you remove all the paraphernalia from the wine and, and taste it blind, you don't get any of that. And that's how I first got into wine. It developed into an obsession and then a business. So here I am running a wine shop about four years after that fateful blind wine tasting. Wine, it's so multidimensional. It's got that intellectual aspect, the hedonistic aspect, the scientific aspect. And there's, there's endless possibilities you will never learn everything about wine every time you think you know about wine you realize you don't because there's always more to discover new trends new producers new angles it's this never-ending journey really and and i think that's what intrigued me so much about wine and that's how i got into it and i've just done a blind wine tasting with you which is absolutely fascinating when new people come to the shop i'd like to do what i call a wine diagnosis on them this means that instead of asking people what they want to drink i ask what flavors they feel like whether whether they fancy red white or sparkling but then whether they prefer something crispy or creamy we go from there i give some samples you both wanted something crispy and refreshing something white and therefore i went with a sancerre to start with but then i wanted to explore whether you'd like the influence of oak so i went from a sancerre to a south african barrel fermented sauvignon to see whether you preferred that and since you wanted to go in the other direction i thought okay let's try a tasmanian riesling and you prefer that to the sancerre so that's sort of the kind of journey that i want to take people on um to find that perfect glass of wine that really completes their evening you could actually have a superb clean wine that has the flavors of of an elegant oolong tea as well as pure fruit and that is perfectly clear so i think the chateau svenica cazzatelli carovery is a fantastic illustration of what i represent here as a wine shop We're looking back at flavour over the year 2022 and one of the things we covered were classes and they're very much on the agenda at the Food Museum in Stowmarket which opened last year having previously been the Museum of East Anglian Life. Here's director Jenny Cousins. Oh, right, so you'll um, be running sort of classes, will you, showing... Sort of, I would say, smaller demonstrations. We do run some classes, like we've got jam-making things happening as well. We do bread um, workshops, that kind of thing, with our outdoor um, oven, and it's definitely an area that we're trying to build. I'd say that, I mean, this whole thing is like a journey we're trying to take people on, and every time I meet someone over this, like, you kind of pick up some new ideas and some new directions and some new collaborations that we've had some really interesting people get in touch over, like, what it is that we're trying to do. So I don't know what it's going to be like in a few years' time, but (laughs) what I hope is that it will be a kind of participatory experience it will be something where you'll come and you'll be able to taste something you'll you know have your senses assailed you'll be able to smell things you'll be able to get your hands dirty we're really keen to get people out there like touching the soil and looking at the growing side of food not just the tasting side of it um, but the whole process There's the familiar music signalling time for news from social media. 
Culinaris has some orange-cured ham and duck terrine to sample today to have a taste of. Uh, that's in Mill Road. The Cambridge Cheese Company in All Saints Passage has just had, a, or last night, had a big delivery of French cheeses and they found their way onto the counter for you to go and buy today and next week. And finally, there's a preview of Gutter and Stars 2022 wine vintages. Gutter and Stars are in the windmill at the end of French's Road and they've got a tasting of their 2022 vintages on the 26th of January. And as we said at the beginning, last year the cost of food has become a big issue. The latest figures show that food price inflation has reached over 14% in the last year. One of the many responses to it in Cambridge has been pop-up fruit stands. Matt spoke with founders Steve and Susan Abbs. After lockdown, we were surprised to see long queue outside the church at Wolfstone Way. For us, that was quite a shocking sight to see because we thought we live in Queen Ediff and it seems like a, a well-to-do area. Yeah. So we were very shocked to find this queue of people queuing for food and we wanted to do something to help. Two, so, two years ago, wasn't it? During, yes. during the lockdown, the very first lockdown from COVID, Martin Roach on Hills Road started this mm. food stall, a pop-up fruit stall. He started that in aid of to help the farmer because the farmer that grows the food was struggling to have an outlet during the lockdown because the markets had closed and so on and so on. Mm. So it helped him to get rid of his fruit and help the local community buy their local fruit without having to go to the supermarket and risk getting contaminated with COVID at the same time mm. and also help the local food hub at Queen Ediffs. And it's really nice being involved with this pop-up store because it means that we could try bigger variety of fruits than what we normally get from the supermarket mm. so for instance i mean i've never seen red gauges until we started doing this yeah. and we have had quite a different variety of plums as well as gauges and apples that we don't normally see in supermarket oh, yes, <laughs> yes. one of our resident our local customers, customers from last year yeah. bought Oof. lots of damsons and made some delicious damson vodka, vodka. Oh. and she gave us a little bottle to try out you have to leave it for several months to develop Mm. and uh, oh that was delicious yes. we've got the recipe thank from you, her Ruth. so thank you for that Ruth <laughs> we're gonna try it so if you like sweet vodka try that recipe with some damsons in it so um, what can I sell you <laughs> <laughs> no I've got a pound I've got a pound on me what does that buy you can have a Victoria plum you're welcome see you later all the profits they make from their stall goes to the Queen Edith Food Hub. That was their third year running this weekly stall over the summer months, and their neighbourhood really gets behind them by buying, donating and raising extra cash for the cause. Growing your own food is a solution for some, and it has other benefits too. Last year, Matt visited the Cambridge Cyrenians. That's an organisation which works with the homeless in Cambridge. It runs six plots at the Whitehill allotments by the side of the football ground, providing mental health outreach work with a focus on meaningful activity. We were talking about that, weren't we, Chantal, about the difference between the taste of a shop-bought tomato oh, and God, one yeah. that we've... Yeah, there's a so big difference. Yeah. A lot more fresher, not Just being blasted with ice, dry ice, I'm on about. Yeah, there's, a, like, there's probably a sickness in society and this is what's lacking. Yeah, I don't want to get all too weird on you. Like. 
But yeah, let's like I think they're introducing it back into school systems, aren't they? They're trying to get kids back involved with plants and stuff and idea. herbs yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like sort of field craft, you know. In the polytunnel, we grow all the tender vegetables. Chantelle, come and tell us what we've grown in our beds. My favourites. That we've grown here. It's got to be the chilies. The chilies, <laughs> yeah. We grew quite a lot of varieties of chilies, didn't we, this year? So we've got rhubarb, leeks, onions, radishes, peas. What's your favourite that you've just had in your sandwich? That you've just chard, chard every time, oh, chard. Chard. Love it must it. be the king of the vegetables. <laughs> <coughs> My king of the vegetables is the kale, though, because we, we grow quite a lot of kale throughout the season because it's frost-safe. Claire, what's your favourite vegetables that we've grown here? Tomatoes. Lots of different varieties of tomatoes, yeah. And I like yellow tomatoes. Oh, that's right. We did a, we, a, a yellow variety, didn't we? Quite sweet. You know, I think a lot of people forget that there are working-class people who live in Cambridge who haven't got garden. A lot of people have an allotment because they actually need some space outdoors. Just a breather. Yeah. You can just, like... (sighs) One of the other things that we do here is we try and save our own seeds. Things like runner beans, we just replant the same one. So, in fact, I can't actually even remember what variety they are because we've been saving our seeds from pods for so many years that they've just they just keep going and keep going and keep going so it's, that's one thing that it's just quite sustainable then if you save your own seeds but then if we get big gluts from midsummer through autumn we just do like a little stall just in town raise awareness you know the public come and have a look at what we grow and we get some donations from people and stuff like that as well Yeah, it makes you feel better just being out. Food banks and food hubs reported big increases in use last year. Here's Heather Yeadon from the Cambridge City Food Bank. Yeah, it's definitely our most busy year we've ever had. If it carries on like this, and no doubt it will, and probably get worse as the winter months come, we'll probably have helped around 12,000 people during this year. And that's just in Cambridge? Yeah, that's our Cambridge City Food Bank, so we have eight different centres. Um, so most of them are in the city, one's in Campbell and one's in Norvestow. Energy costs, of course, are also going up with, with much worse to come. And that means that some people are going to find it's a struggle to actually cook their food. So does that make a difference to what sort of food people can, can accept? We do do some things, so we do do fuel vouchers as well. So that's one way we sort of try and help with, help with that. In the normal uh, like parcel of food, there's some, you know, there's a mixture of things. Some which you wouldn't need to cook. Um, most of it you do need to cook, to be honest. We do offer some some things for people that are homeless or in temporary accommodation where they don't have cooking facilities. But yeah, certainly there's lots of people that are sort of having to choose between, you know, he- heating their home or or buying food, and you know that there's a, definitely. Uh, we're definitely aware of that being a major issue that yeah. people are struggling with energy price. As winter comes on, the situation presumably can only get worse. So are you having to find new sources of food or are you likely to be getting enough in or, or what? Um, yeah, we are a little worried about having enough food to meet the demand. We're now using some of our some money that we have to buy food, um, which, we've, we, which we haven't done a lot of before. But yeah, definitely we are... 
trying to think of ways we can make sure we've got enough food in as well as enough volunteers to sort all the food, get it to the centres, um, which is a massive job. Are, are you aware at all of any sort of widening in your, I don't know what you'd call it, your, your customer base? Are more people coming in who maybe are employed in what would have once seemed quite adequate salaries? Yeah, I think, yeah, there are more people that employed or, or sort of a combination of employed as well as maybe claiming some benefits where they used to be able to manage on the income they had and now with, with the cost of living going up, they're now not being able to manage. And we are seeing quite a lot of new people um, coming to the food bank that, that wouldn't have previously accessed. But not everyone's diet is well catered for by what's often donated to food banks. Last summer, I spoke with Shahida Rahman and Ibrahim Rahman of the Karim Foundation at the Cambridge Mosque. We decided to set up our own charity, so it led to that. We launched in September 2020, and it was named after my late father, Abdul Karim. So he arrived in Cambridge in 1957. He passed away in 1985, and we wanted to do something in his memory. We've been continuing our work, identifying families in partnership with the Cambridge Ethnic Community Forum and also with Cambridge City Council. We've been working through third persons because what we found was people from ethnic minority backgrounds were very reluctant to come forward, felt ashamed of even asking for help. I don't think anyone wants to be in that position, but to actually go out and ask for help, that's really quite something for some people. So we've managed to work with a community support worker at Cambridge City Council. So we don't know who we're exactly helping because these people actually know us, so they don't want to be identified. So that's worked out really, really well. And the fact is that we've been able to help families. We can't see the families but we've been able to help them knowing that the food support and also the fuel support families that we're helping we are providing culturally appropriate food so what we discovered with the city food banks in cambridge they cater for families but sometimes these ethnic minority families don't like the food that are being served to them so we discovered okay we need to do something you know we need to help those communities who are not coming forward for that reason, because we've been able to provide culturally appropriate food like halal meat and chicken to Muslim families. So you mentioned halal foods, but also obviously there are other culturally appropriate foods that don't necessarily get into food banks too. Yes, so we are uh, helping other communities from those from Eastern European backgrounds, African origin as well, providing the food that they would normally eat. So we're helping all sorts of people. So we're not just particularly focusing on one community. And what we found is that just identifying people in that way, these invisible communities, we would say, uh, for them to come forward through our community uh, support worker, I think it's been absolutely amazing. One lady said she wouldn't have known what she would have done if she if we weren't there to be able to help her with food and fuel support. One other lady said we're a lifesaver. Just to even hear these words, it's so meaningful for us that we're actually be able to do something to help them. And that's what our foundation is about. Those who can afford to buy one can save money as well as time by cooking food in a pressure cooker. Food writer Catherine Phipps' book, Modern Pressure Cooking, was published last year and I spoke to her and Quadrille Publishing Managing Director Sarah Lavelle about pressure cookers. First of all, you're going to save fuel and therefore money because using a pressure cooker um, will cut down the 
cooking time by about 70%. And actually with some of the longer recipes, some of that is actually done off the heat as well. So that's the main thing, but also time. So it's, I always say fuel, time, money. And then the fourth thing, which is less obvious is water, because as you're cooking in a sealed pot, there's no evaporation or very, very little evaporation. So you can cook things in a minuscule amount of water compared to how you would do it conventionally. Things that have really been a revelation for me are like poaching a whole chicken and you literally just, you know, you bring it to high pressure and then you take it off the heat and that's it. That's a sort of, you know, leave it and that's a whole chicken poach. And then after you've used the, you know, the chicken meat, you put put the carcass back in and it makes the best stock ever. I mean, I would never return to boiling up a chicken carcass for, you know, hours on top of the stove. It's just so much, but you can do it's, it's sort of, it's like stock is supposed to be. It's full of flavour and it's really thick um, and gelatinous. You get a really good jelly, don't you? You do. Really and I was amazed, really honestly. It made me realise I've been doing stock wrong <laughs> all these years. Excellent idea. Well, we're having a two-minute break now, but we'll be back with some of the openings we saw in 2022 and how some of our producers are working hard to produce superb food whilst also protecting the environment. Cambridge 105 Radio. We're celebrating female survivors in this week's bookmark. Featured guest is Adele Garas, writing as Hope Adams, talking about her novel Dangerous Women, inspired by a quilt produced by female convicts as they were being transported to Australia. Anne Rocklin talks about her friendship with the memoirist Zdenka Fantlova, who survived six concentration camps. And Julieta Harvey explains how a real-life story of incarceration gave her the idea for her novel Fear of Light. So join me, Lee Chambers, to listen to these extraordinary stories on Bookmark this Sunday morning at 11 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. Welcome back to Flavor and we're looking back over the best of 2022. Now, last year saw the launch of Sweet Pea Market Garden onto our local markets, selling high-quality and often unusual varieties of fruit and vegetables. Here's Adrienne Gordon explaining what they grow and how they protect the environment. So I'm really focusing on flavour, colour, like vibrancy and interest, and I just I want to produce a really high-quality product as well as thinking about how it's grown and the impact that it has yeah well i see you've got a planet first produce sign up so yes again that you know this reflects your philosophy yeah so what sort of things have you done which perhaps made your task as a grower more difficult but it fits in with what you want to do so we aren't using any uh, chemical inputs at all 
We are planting for pollinators, so lots of flowers and companion plants. We're also doing everything with hand tools rather than with heavy machinery because that has less of an impact on the soil. Well, compacting. Yeah, Yeah, compacting and also soil like agitation like plowing and and things like that can damage the soil structure and biology um so by using hand tools we lessen the impact that that our working with the soil has okay well, that's, um, this sounds like terribly hard work you must, have, <laughs> <laughs> you must have done a huge amount yes yes uh, because been... you just started off with a field presumably that had weeds in it anyway so you've had to sort of deal with the land you've had to weed it you've had to decompress it yeah um and you've had to do a lot of planting but what you've come across this year is a terrifically difficult year for growing, presumably, because of the heat, yes. the drought. Yes. Yeah, so actually, interestingly, where I was working last year in Sussex, we had the polar opposite problem, which was it was too wet. And our courgettes were sulky. They had reeds growing in between them, like water reeds. We lost loads of crops due to leather jackets which are uh, daddy long legs grubs in the soil there is always an issue to overcome with farming and it's going to become increasingly difficult with climate change and unpredictability but that's why it's important that we have people working out how to grow food in a resilient way because if we care for the soil it is able to cope with drought and things like that much better. Um, So we need to be supporting agroecological farmers to do this so that we have food security in the future. Flourish in Hildersham has a similar philosophy and in 2022 opened its farm shop. Here's founder Calixter Killander explaining some of the farm's approaches. How do you overcome the the problem of pests or are you just prepared to, to have losses in that direction rather than use whatever chemical sprays are available? So, yeah, that's a really, really good question. We sort of firstly have a kind of the philosophy that we accept that we will lose some things and the fact that we grow such a huge range means that if one year we have a bad raspberry year it might be a fantastic year for turnips and we sort of (laughs) hope that our business model will be able to ride out those things Um, we don't use sprays but we do use um, a couple of other things to help if we do have pest issues so we use these nets on our fields visitors to the farm might notice sort of large slightly opaque nets Um, we use those as sort of a physical barrier against certain pests but also the birds and the deer that love with sort of the flourish salad bar for all the local (laughs) wildlife Um, and we also use something called integrated pest management which is where we will um, try and increase populations of things like ladybirds and also predatory wasps that will actually prey upon pests that are that are a problem for our vegetables. So a sort of biological control. Right. So yeah. it's this working ecosystem is what we're trying to create. Right. So how do you encourage those? Well, part of it's having a very um, 
nice environment for them where they will sort of be abundant in them in themselves so that's sort of having lots of um, flowers around the farm that will mm. attract the insects lots of sort of wild spaces of sort of brush wildflowers long grasses that are good um, habitat for them um, but we do actually also release them that you know we buy in the um, larva and release them especially in our our polytunnels where um, you know they have, it's sort of a bit more of an intensive environment less sort of airflow and that sort of thing so we do need to bring them in and a worrying warning of what can happen when the environment is suffering came from Clive Hayden, who has a small holding in Long Stanton, where the works in Norstow are blamed for local water levels falling. Soft fruit requires water and there's an issue with the water. Uh, well, yes, that's the trouble. The strawberries in the greenhouse, unfortunately, we can keep them just going a little bit, but that's why we've had to cut back on the late second crop of flowers we grow. So those, the greenhouse where they had an early crop, where we had the water, we don't plant them up to now and try and maintain the water to keep the soft fruit going. So it's um, a balancing act, really, um, whereas we should have had a second crop um, taking us through. That's um, just pointless. So I've just got to save the little bit of water for... So your income's being hit? Yes, a fair bit. Yeah. And we've just had to adapt and find other things. We, we tried growing a lot of... Um, a selection of outdoor flowers that are supposed to be drought-tolerant that don't need irrigation... What doesn't help is the land here. We've only got about a foot of topsoil. Then we're on pure gravel, which was an old riverbed. <laughs> I mean, my well's only eight foot deep, and that was that was deep enough to do take all the water we wanted. But you start lowering the groundwater that much, um, there'll be nothing flowing away. And you know, it could affect trees as well because I have the water staying away from the established roots. So and you've you've got some dying trees now. I have on my boundary yes, lots. Mm -hmm. And, and that's recent, that's since the building. Oh, yes, I mean, they're, they, they're well established as well. There's an awful lot of, unfortunately, some of the trees like silver birch are shallow rooted, so they've suffered. But even native ones down there we've, we've lost as well. Yeah. Um, and more dying, you can see that's visible. They've, they've only got half the vegetation on them they should have. So if you are badly affected by further building developments, then what will you do then? I don't really know. Um, growing wise that'll be probably the end of it for me um, I certainly couldn't afford to run have mains water which just wouldn't be viable mm. so I don't know I, I really don't know what would happen then um, so it's um, always been an area of low rainfall so there's no way of me collecting enough rainfall during the winter months or anything storing at all so it's um, it doesn't look very good for the long term future now mm. On a slightly different tack, here's some uh, better environmental news. A few months ago, I saw a grapevine growing in the centre of town. Now, it was in the grounds of St Edward's Church near the market. I caught up with Megan, who tends to the church grounds. She got rid of the dense shrub and she planted the vine. So you said it's traditional to bury a sheep's carcass mm. when you are planting a vine. I've not yes. heard of that before. Yeah, to provide blood and bone meal mm -hmm. <laughs> for one thing, and also the wool would be other nutrients. It's an old agricultural custom that's supposed to help the fertility of the, the growth of the vine or something, yeah. The relevance of the medlar tree here. Mm. Yeah, the council, they advised on which ones would work well in the churchyard in conjunction with the food aspect. And this one is a Prunus autumnalis, so it's a flowering cherry. It's really just for prettiness, but it flowers twice a year, so it gives a beautiful flower in the depths of winter. Mm. But the medlar, now they're coming to the stage where they'll be bletting 
I'm told they have a big stone in the middle, so there's not actually that much edible part to it. But mm. but they are um, edible. People do eat them. Yes. Yeah. 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 What do they or make? Is it medlar cheese? I think where cheese isn't what you imagine dairy, cheese just means a very stiff jam, mm. is how I would describe it. That you can slice a bit like um, you know membrios, the quince version. The Spanish feet, Membrio with Manchego cheese, I think it is. Then we came across the ground elder, also known as the bishop weed. was actually brought to this country by the Romans as food on the march for the soldiers. See, you treat it like a sort of spinach or salad vegetable. I think I need to look that up again. But anyway, it's quite pretty with sprays of delicate white flowers. I think I'd call it an edimental. Some people <laughs> just uh, regard it as an absolute fiend in the garden and try to get rid of it, but it is quite... Invasive? <laughs> yes, it, it, yes, it holds on in there. Does this count as something that you didn't choose to plant here? Um, it, was, it was definitely already here, and um, I think it's probably a, lesson, a life lesson there, isn't it? You, some things you just have to accept and work with. <laughs> Yeah, so there were plenty of things to be gathered from the churchyard at St Edward's. Strawberries, cherries, blackberries, grapes, rosemary bay leaves, St John's warts, and bird's foot trefoil, known colloquially as eggs and bacon. And they're planning on planting more things there. So if you fancy volunteering at St Andrews, maybe helping out Megan maintain the grounds, then do contact the Reverend Dr Mark Scarlatta. He's the chaplain of St Edward King and Martyr Church, to give it its full name, and you'll find his details on the board outside the church doors. Despite everything, 2022 saw some exciting new food and drink businesses opening in and around Cambridge. One in Green Street was Canoops, selling a huge variety of hot chocolate drinks. When you step into our shops, you see a wealth of choices. And they're all, all our chocolates are divided initially by percentage. And the percentage stands for the amount of cacao within the chocolate. It does remind a lot of people of the periodic table. I I made that decision so we can differentiate the chocolates. As we have 22 on the board, we have to start somewhere. A lot of people are a little bit apprehensive. I'm not very good with numbers, and I always say that, but that's when we immediately step in and say, forget all the numbers behind us. That's just a way of differentiating the chocolates. Let's talk about what kind of chocolate you eat at home, what kind of chocolate you drink, where's the best hot chocolate you ever had. And then they're describing it very often. It's, um, I've been in Venice and I was sitting, I was surrounded by doves, or I was skiing. And then we talk about an emotion rather than the periodic table behind us. But it does work. You usually start with a percentage you prefer, uh, which relates to how sweet or how dark you would like your chocolate. Then you choose a milk. Also, you choose if you want it cold or hot. And then we're coming to the added ingredients. We have classic ingredients like sea salt, a little bit of fresh orange zest. We can also steep fresh mint. And then we're getting more exotic uh, with turmeric. We have star anise. We have some very, very interesting things. And Noobs doesn't just restrict itself to chocolate either. There's a range of other drinks and eats too. It's in Green Street, where you can also find the newly opened Brewboard Taproom. 
And we're in the basement of an intriguing new place. And Ollie is one of the co-founders of Brewboard. And Brewboard has settled in Green Street. So tell me why you've decided to settle and open in Green Street, because this is a recent opening, isn't it, Ollie? Yeah, it is. Basically, we've had an itch for a couple of years whereby we wanted to open a bar in Cambridge. Over the last year, we've had sort of some desperate bad luck in terms of getting that over the line. And then, thankfully, this situation presented itself, and it's on Green Street, very much in central Cambridge, which made a lot of sense to us in terms of getting people through the door. Yeah, we're, we're doing it now as a pop-up, basically, between now and Christmas, see how it goes, try and make yeah, a good run of it and go from there, basically. If, if it goes good guns, we'll hopefully sign a long lease on it into 2023 and beyond, and then we'll have our own bona fide tap room. We've got eight different taps here, all manner of other stuff, and yeah, it's just a nice environment. And it's an interesting site because you've obviously got the frontage on Green Street, which looks warm and welcoming, but you've got a couple of hidden bits as well, haven't you? Yeah, we've got, well, where we're currently sitting, we're sitting down in the hidden cellar, hence the the slightly peculiar echo. In addition to the hidden cellar, I mean, personally, I like it down here. It's nice and cosy and, you know, with all the uh, twinkly night lights on the ceiling and and the dark walls, it feels cosy and nice. In addition to that, we've got the hidden courtyard. We're going to do nice mulled wine and cider out there to accompany all our cold beers that are on the taps inside. So something for everyone here. Sadly, Brewboard is not able to extend its lease in Green Street because the building's owners have signed a long-term lease with a retail tenant, which is what they wanted. But they're still on the hunt for a central Cambridge location. They still, however, though, have their taproom going in Harston at Button End. And very successfully, yeah. Indeed. Okay, this is Flavor. We're looking back at 2022. And in Market Square, close to Green Street, after a lengthy refit, Market House opened its doors and manager Bill Brogan talked about the wines, the beers and the food. It's quite a big wine list for for Cambridge. It's uh, nearly 90 bin. uh, And it does feature, again, Paul Roger, Schembler, but uh, we have got diverse wines from China, uh, from Japan, and from around the world. We've also concentrated a lot on organic wine, biodynamic wines, and we've got a sake wine list, we've got a great cocktail wine list, and also we're dealing with craft breweries up and down the, the country, and we're going to be changing them all, all the time. Some of those are, ca- are Cambridge-based and local, uh, but we'll take beers from Northumberland, from Leeds, from Devon, from South Wales, from wherever, and keep changing them. But it is ba- going to be really based on small craft breweries, which is going to be quite unique. I haven't really asked you about what sort of items will be on the restaurant menu. Yeah. The menu is kind of British, what, what, whatever British is, because it's got so many influences, but it's with a touch of uh, Mediterranean influence, and it has got a touch of Asian influence because quite a bit of the art within the area will, will be Asian art. The menu will focus quite a bit on fish and also it will focus a bit on plant-based products. We will have meat on there, but it's not a, a meat-laden menu. We've kind of tried to go away from there. Yes, we've got a steak on there. The steak is absolutely a fantastic piece of meat, 
but we haven't got steak, pork, uh, chicken and everything else on there. He's definitely leaning towards fish, sustainable fish and plant-based products. And that's both on the casual dining and also on the main fine eating menus. A little further out of town as the summer heated up, I popped into the Cambridge Blue in Gwydir Street where you can get meat and vegan burgers supplied by the Gorilla and Lamb team. Now, Gorilla and Lamb are manager Souk, whilst Nico and Lex are the chefs. Lex loves old-style cooking techniques. He uses a 5,000-year-old Pipelchuma hot sauce recipe, for instance, and plenty of pickling and preserving. We found our head chef, Lex. Hi, Mum. <laughs> He's from Portland, Oregon. He really brought that authentic American touch to this kitchen. As far as the places like Vegan Vice and the vegan or vegetarian only, I love those places, like, you know, vegan junk food. It's, mm. it's a great idea. I remember when those started popping up like four or five years ago. And of course, we offer those things, but I want to offer the best you can get it, you know. I'm doing it in a, in a smash patty, so instead of the weird texture you get in the middle from like some of these really big, honky vegan burgers, these things are smashed really thin, so it's all caramelization, it's all flavor, and it's good texture. So it's like people don't realize it's vegetarian sometimes. They're like, this is amazing, are you sure? They're, yeah, they'll get my guys, like, are you sure this is a meat? I'm like, yeah, I'm positive. I mean, half the reason I wanted to go into business with these guys is because I couldn't find a decent burger in Cambridge. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, we'll make our own then, you know. <laughs> to be honest, myself and I can speak for Nick as well, we're converted. Yeah. Whenever we come to the kitchen, even though we eat meat, at least eight out of ten times, we'll want the vegan patty. Because it, it's just lighter, it tastes nice, we don't miss anything. Mm. Sometimes, truth be told, the beef can be a bit heavier, whereas a vegan burger's got all the flavour, everything you want and just perfect finish the perfect balance you got such an affinity for these older recipes well that's that's the weird thing like with fermentation that was born out of a need because we didn't have there was no refrigeration so people are learning how to preserve these foods mm. on a beach salting fish and over a fire and smoking it and like I'm like okay we just preserved our food for the whole winter there's like an important element there. We lose those flavors when we just microwave something. Even like things that are just perfectly fresh. Okay, what well, what if you put it in a salt brine and you put it on your shelf for two years, what happens then? Mm. Like our fermented garlic honey is garlic and chilies fermenting inside of honey. And it takes about two weeks to make. Mm. And then we drizzle that on our fried chicken and it goes with that pil pal chuma sauce and like, you can, you can taste the time it takes to make these things in each bite. And it's really delicious and exciting for me to like old world techniques, but like a lot of their own modern twist and flavor on it. And at the end of 2022, work was very much going ahead on a new branch of Tawa Kitchen called Tawa Bites. We're planning to open in January, Tower Bites, and like I said, it's all food to go, fast food, so most of this stuff will be on um, deliveries. There is pickup, but the place is quite small, so I think there's got seating, it's going to be seating about 10 people, I think that's about it, but it's mostly emphasised on food to go. So this is the sort of thing that will carry from lunch to evening until about 11 o'clock, and what we're going to do is try and compete with the um, industry, the evening industry, with the burgers and the pizza, that's what the plan is, but have flavours and food at night, so we've got things like comfort bowls coming out so it's our indian version
version of comfort bowls where in a bowl you'll get some red rice, you get crunchy vegetables, you get some sort of protein in there, a bit of salad in there, a bit of like a, a dressing in there. So you've got everything in one bowl, but yeah, it's a balanced meal that you could have in the evening, say after going clubbing or something and you want to have a drink or something, you want something good food. And that was Vilas Patel of Tawa, Healthy Indian Food. Uh, and finally, a lot of Cambridge restaurants won awards last year. We haven't enough time to mention them, but congratulations to the most recent, which is Restaurant 22 making Harden's diner-rated UK Top 100. That is prestigious. Well done. <laughs> There's green onions on our job section, and it's a brief one today. We will be back with a fuller roundup next time. Vacancies for part time supervisors at Burwash Larder. Email info at burwashlarder.com for more info. Hisson Smokehouse is looking for full and part time front of house staff. Phone Cambridge 491 174 or pop in quiet time for Wednesdays to Fridays. Hand in email, sorry, hand in your applications or email to hissonsmokehouse.gmail.com. And coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is the Gadget Guide with Robin Lawrence, but that's all from us. We'll be back on the 28th of January with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features, but until then... Goodbye! goodbye.